Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I do pray that you would please settle our hearts this afternoon as we come before it, that we might hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. As we progress through Matthew chapter 8, we've observed Jesus exert his power and authority over the physical state of men and women, and also over the natural world. In recent Sundays, we have followed Jesus on this fast-paced journey as he has healed instantaneously and with complete ease, leprosy, feverish infection, and paralysis. There is no physical affliction that Jesus comes across that he is not able to miraculously heal through just a word. And this healing element to his ministry comes directly off the back of the Sermon on the Mount in chapters five to seven, where Jesus left the gathered crowds utterly amazed by his teaching. No one had ever heard anything like they did that day on the mountainside. So the disciples are moving from one astounding event to the next as they travel with Jesus. And it just keeps going. In the verses just before our passage, they have literally been fighting for their lives in a furious storm on the sea. And the, even the very seasoned sailors amongst them were gripped with the fear of drowning. They were crying out to Jesus to save them. And again, to their utter amazement, with a single rebuke from Jesus, the natural world to the wind, the waves, the sea, the rain, it is instantly obedient to the command and is totally still. And so this is the immediate context uh, that we enter this passage with today. They've all just sailed across the Sea of Galilee and in verse 28 we read, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadareans. Now you can imagine, or probably imagine what the disciples must be feeling like at this point. Uh, they're probably soaked through, they've had a massive adrenaline dump uh, because they've just battled a storm and faced death. In the, and, and faced death. Uh, they're probably feeling both emotionally and physically drained. And they're extremely glad, no doubt, to have their feet on dry land at last. They just need a moment to recover themselves and compose themselves. So they've gone from facing certain death to having their minds totally blown for what they've just witnessed Jesus do. But it does just keep going, it is relentless for them. So we read on in verse 28. Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Now I think this scene could almost be taken straight from a horror film. We have here two men that are possessed by demons and dwell among the graves and the tombs of the dead. And no one dares go near them. And for good reason, you wouldn't blame them. These men are dangerously violent and unpredictable. Now this presumably had been the case for some time because they've sort of developed a no-go area around them. Now you're probably not planning a foreign holiday at the moment, but if you were, you may pick up a travel guide for the, for the area you plan to visit. Now in these guides, uh, they highlight the locations that are the must-see locations, but they also sort of warn against travel to particular regions, maybe because of political instability or war or high crime rates. Well, a local tourist guide in the Gadareans region would no, doubt how, would no doubt highlight this particular spot uh, where Jesus and his disciples have landed as a no-go area to visit. 
So from out of the graveyard stalk these two demon-possessed men. Now, their physical appearance itself would have been shocking. We know from Mark's Gospel, where this account is also given, that the demon-possessed cut themselves with stones. And other accounts of possession in, in, this, in those Gospels, they, they throw their body into water or into fire in order to damage it. These men would have been difficult to recognise as human. They would have been scarred and wild in appearance. And when they spoke, it would have been with aggressive shouts. And so for the disciples, it's is turning into a day like no other. And it is in this immediate and frightening context that we see the first one of two simple truths I want to draw out from this passage. And the first is this, Jesus drives out evil. Jesus drives out evil. And to cover this, I just want to look at two particular areas. Firstly, the, the identity and authority of Jesus, and then more briefly, the identity and limitations of demons. Now, what I find striking about this passage is how the demon-possessed men make the first move in approaching Jesus. We read in verse 28 that they are coming from the tombs, they met him. Now, it may have been they approached just anyone who entered their territory in order to terrorise him, and on this occasion they've come face to face with Jesus. Or perhaps instead they recognise an unseen spiritual force or power about Jesus, which they knew was inescapable, and so they approach him in fear. Either way, upon meeting him, they instantly know who Jesus is, and they know full well the power and the authority that he possesses. You may recall from the passage a fortnight ago, the disciples, while sat in the boat on the still waters after Jesus had just calmed that furious storm, say to each other, what kind of man is this? They themselves were still not certain about a true identity of Jesus, even after seeing his miracles and hearing his teaching. Contrast that now with the reaction of the demons after spending only moments in the physical presence of Jesus. There is no doubt in them who Jesus is. Look at verse 29, they shout, what do you want with us, son of God? They instantly recognise the long ago prophesied offspring of Eve from Genesis 3, who would one day crush the head of the serpent, their master, the devil. They know too well that this man before them will one day be seated on a great white throne of judgment. And he will judge all mankind. Revelation 20 reads, they, the devil and his agents will be thrown into a lake of burning sulfur, where I quote, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now you probably notice there is no doubt in their mind who Jesus is, and they are terrified in his presence. They know that day is coming when Jesus will drive out all evil and bring about his frightening judgment upon them. And this explains why they, they shout out in verse 29, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? So they've rationalized that this great day of final judgment has not yet arrived but they are afraid that Jesus may have come to punish them early. And so we see them in verse 31, begging Jesus, saying, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. 
For years, perhaps, no one has dared to approach these possessed men because of their terrifying and destructive natures. But within moments of being in the presence of Jesus, they are totally submissive and begging him to show them some small mercy. Now, this should cause us to stop and check our thinking about Jesus, shouldn't it? Demons are powerful, eternal beings, fallen angels who once dwelt with God in heaven. And they are evil through and through. And like their master, the devil, they love nothing more than helping men and women to reject God and destroy their lives and eternities. Yet despite this power, they are utterly subjugated before Jesus. You may have read the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And it puts it quite aptly. Um, Susan, one of the characters, has discovered that Aslan is uh, not a man, but a lion. And she questions Beaver about how safe Aslan is. Beaver responds by saying, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. This passage should serve as a reminder to us to approach Jesus with right reverence and fear. He is the son of the living God. But do not be uh, fooled by false portrayals of Jesus being a bit of a, a wet blanket, a very harmless or hippie type, but ultimately a bit of a doormat. From this passage, that isn't how the demons saw him and it isn't how we should think of him either. We have here Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the flesh and blood in the region of the Gadarenes at a specific moment in history. And with a single word, go, the demons are instantly driven out of the men. Look at verse 32. So they came out and they went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Jesus drives out evil. I don't know if you find it, but I think it's so encouraging to remember the full and true identity of Jesus. This world will be content that you believe in a Jesus that they are comfortable with. A Jesus made up of partial truth. A Jesus who loves all and accepts all, no matter what, what their life choice is, and a Jesus that teaches love and acceptance of our neighbour. Of course, there is truth in that. But the Jesus of the Bible is also one who calls sinners like us to repentance, who is clear that we desperately need to seek God's forgiveness for all the wrong that we have done. And the Jesus of the Bible will also one day judge all people who reject him in this life to an everlasting and hopeless future without him. These are the truths the world will not tolerate, but they are the truths we must hold to without shame. And, it's, and it is comforting, isn't it, that Jesus has the authority to drive out evil and to see the ease at which Jesus is able to handle these, these agents of the devil, these evil spirits that have so completely bound up these two men. And we do need reminding that the devil is a real enemy to us and he will attack us with temptations and snares. You are probably able to recollect times personally 
of significant trial and temptation and struggle where you felt sure that there was an element of spiritual attack going on. And that shouldn't come as any surprise to us. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is clear and true that we, we have a strong and relentless enemy. But we also have an unconquerable king in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he drives out evil. So we don't need to be worried or be anxious about the presence of evil in this world because of the access we have to our King, the Lord Jesus. There is nothing we cannot bring to him. There is no struggle, spiritual attack or besetting sin that is too great that he cannot give us the grace to defeat it or to bear it. Let me read you the first verse of a great hymn that we'll look at after this um, that applies this truth very well. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I just want to touch briefly now on the identity and limitations of demons. Because the inescapable reality of this passage is the fact we are presented with demon possession and Jesus performing an exorcism. Now, we simply don't have time to address the full doctrine of the devil and demons here. But clearly, this passage raises many questions of this nature. So, for example, how did demons come into existence? How is it that so many demons can occupy one individual? What made these men susceptible to demons in the first place? Why are the demons so desperate to be sent into the pigs? Where did they go when all the pigs ran into the water and died? Do we still see demon possession of people and animals today? And what are the differences between an angel and a demon? Now, these are all good questions. And they may come into your mind as you read that. It certainly came into my mind as I looked at it. Um, and I clearly can't answer all those questions today. We can maybe speak after, I can recommend some, some reading. But as we, as we keep going, um, we may make a start on, on some of them. Demon possession and exorcism make for popular themes in Hollywood horror films. In the 21st century, almost annually, there have been new big budget films on this theme. Now, I do not advise watching films of this nature because it may come as no surprise that film producers are not so much interested in biblical truth on this matter as they are with profit and uh, the ability to generate rave reviews. In brief, the Bible is very clear that there are unseen spiritual realities operating in creation. We have populations of perfectly good heavenly beings as well as evil spirits. And I've already quoted Ephesians 6, verse 12, which is a text that points us to that reality. In reference to bodily demon possession, this features primarily in the New Testament, uh, rather than the Old, uh, with a spike in this sort of activity 
during the time that Jesus walked the earth and the apostles established the early church. And there may be more examples of this today than we realise, but to a much lesser degree than we see here in the Gospels. What is clear is that we're not to go looking or meddling in anything that resembles the occult. Jesus and the disciples encountered and dealt with demonic activity as they went forward in their ministry. They didn't go out of their way to seek it. Hopefully, if you're still with me on this, we can pick up a couple of doctrinal points from this passage as well about demons. So firstly, their condition is both miserable and frightening. And that's because there is no salvation for them. They know that they've already rejected Jesus and there is no fellowship to be had with him now or ever again. Which is why they say in verse 29, what have you to do with us? They have no hope or comfort of salvation from Jesus because they know exactly what their future holds. They have no expectations of Jesus other than torment in the final judgment. And they know their fate is sealed. Secondly, their only intent is to cause evil and misery to the living. And that might explain why they beg to go into the pigs. Having been cut short in their efforts of destroying these two men's lives, they crave a living host uh, to cause misery to. Thirdly, um, we can also see from these verses they are limited by the passage of time. Verse 29, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Demons have a collapsing time frame to operate in, and they know it. And finally, they are limited in capability. In verse 32, they can only move here on the command of Jesus. Now, whether you're a believer here or not, you do not need me to tell you that there is evil in this world. Some of you will have seen it or experienced it more than others. You don't need to spend too much time watching the news to at least get a sanitised view of the evil that happens daily in this country and around the world. Now, some of it may be demonic, but much of it is caused by man's sin. But it is a restrained evil. It It could be far more rampant in this world than it is. It is limited and restrained by God, and that is a mystery. I know that the question of why evil and suffering is in the world is a painful one for many. And all I can really do today is offer a starting point on that issue. I know how easy it is to despair at the evil that we see around us, that we see within us, and that's been committed against us. But for every despairing look around or in our past or from within us, we must take 10 looks at Jesus. We must start our thinking on the issue with him. Jesus drives out evil and there is no answer to it outside of him. Finally, more briefly, do not drive out Jesus. Do not drive out Jesus. Look at verse 33. Those ten in the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. 
So we're here introduced to new characters in this short narrative. First, we have those tending the pigs in verse 33, and then we have the whole town in verse 34. The fact that we have a large herd of pigs here um, suggests to us that it is probably Gentile territory and the town nearby is a Gentile settlement. It's highly unlikely that a Jewish town would support the rearing of pigs because they're considered an unclean animal. The herd was probably about 2,000 strong because we're given that detail in Mark's account of this, of this story. So the loss of this herd was no doubt a significant blow to the local economy. It appears that those tending the pigs have so far been silent observers of the events that have taken place. Because the first we, we sort of hear of them is the fact they're running away from the scene. But they clearly know what they have witnessed. They understand why the pigs have acted so erratically. And they know it's linked to the restoring of those demon-possessed men. They also clearly recognise who is responsible for this turn of events. And so they arrive in their town, sweating and gasping for breath. And when they've had a moment to compose themselves, verse 33, they report all that has happened to the people there. I don't know about you, but the next verse, verse 34, I, I find one of, the one of the most remarkable elements of this passage. Verse 34, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Ah, you might say, we've, we've been here before. Massive crowds always want to uh, meet Jesus. It's already been a common theme of Matthew 8 so far. And why not? There is good reason, after all, to meet Jesus. He has the words of eternal life. Jesus reverses the consequences of the curse. Jesus heals all diseases. And we've seen that he drives out demons. Jesus offers people forgiveness of sins, for the burdens of guilt they've carried all their lives. Men, women, and children came away from time with Jesus, different people for the better, radically changed lives. And so word about Jesus always spread like wildfire. Crowds always wanted to meet Jesus. But here comes the kicker, verse 34. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Now, it's almost like they got the first two steps right. Number one, they, they went out to meet Jesus, and that's, that is a great start. Number two, they, they pleaded with him. But they pleaded not to hear the word of God, not to be healed of their diseases, not to seek forgiveness for their sins, or to have him stay longer with them, but for him to leave their region. It's bonkers. According to um, the New Zealand Herald, the late actor Sean Connery was director Peter Jackson's uh, first choice to, pay, to play Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But he turned it down, he didn't really get the concept. He read the book, he read the script, and still didn't get what was going on. Now that decision apparently cost him about 350 million pounds because of how successful those films went on to be. And that's what you call a missed opportunity. Um, but here in Matthew 8, 34, talk about the biggest missed opportunity in human history. The people of the Gadarenes region have the Son of God amongst them. They could reach out and touch him if they wanted to. 
And they had these two men who had terrorised the area, possibly for years, probably from their own town, sat there miraculously healed from their demon possession, fully restored, ready to be reunited with old friends and family. This town had every reason to seek Jesus and try and maximise time with him. But instead they reject him and drive him away. Why? Perhaps it was because Jesus had shown them that he wasn't good for their pockets. Judging by the events of the day and the fact the town had just lost an entire herd of pigs, Jesus clearly wasn't there to bring them financial prosperity and success and make them rich and comfortable. Perhaps Jesus brought too much drama to their quiet and self-interested lives. Perhaps they were frightened by the power and authority that he clearly possessed and simply did not want to face the Son of God, worried about what time in his presence might reveal about their own hearts. Regardless of each personal reason, they collectively together made the worst decision of their lives. They drove out Jesus. So do not let that mistake made by the people of the Gadarean region those 2,000 years ago be your mistake today in June 2021. Do not drive out Jesus. I hope we've seen together this afternoon that Jesus drives out evil. The Bible says that the heart of every one of us is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Our hearts are naturally full of wickedness and sin and it is a sickness and it is terminal. Humanity needs a cure for the consequences of our sins so much more desperately than it needs a COVID vaccine. The only way to have our sins driven out and forgiven is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So all the wrong that we've done in our lives, the evil thoughts of our minds that we're so glad that no one else can know, the jealousy, the pride, the selfishness in our hearts, the sins that we've committed through our words, through our looks, through our actions. Over the course of our lives, these sins stack up to the heavens and they do count against us. We will all of us, one day, need to stand before God on the day of judgment and give an account of our lives, give an account for every careless word that we've ever spoken. So if you know today that you still carry all of these sins and you've not been forgiven by God, then today, do not drive out Jesus. Cry out to him for the forgiveness of your sins and do what the people of the Gadareans failed to do and plead with him to stay and not leave you. And to encourage you to do this, Jesus said in John chapter 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You will find the most faithful God, master and friend in Jesus. And for those of us who know and love the Lord already, the message is the same for us. Do not drive out Jesus. I know it is so easy to find ourselves too busy or too tired to speak with him. We press snooze on the alarm time and time again, favouring sleep over just perhaps even 10 minutes in the Bible and prayer. 
Our days are busy for good reason with our work, with our activities, with responsibilities, with kids, with others. And we fill our free time with lots of good things, sport, exercise, hobbies, um, television, Netflix, browsing the internet on our phones perhaps. And then we hit the pillow again, again too tired to pray. And before we know it, we're snoozing the alarm again the next morning. And yet we know, don't we, what comfort there is in the Lord's presence. What peace he brings to our hearts. And what life and goodness there is in his words. And how good it is for us to share with him our anxieties and our worries. And to lead on him for our strength in all our brokenness and weakness. So tonight before we, we hit the pillow, or when the alarm goes off tomorrow morning, or when we find ourselves dogged by the same sin, or frightened by what the future might hold, let's remember the truth that Jesus drives out evil. He is the only saviour that can help. And therefore, do not drive out Jesus. There is always time to seek him. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is our God, he is our saviour, and that he drives out evil. Thank you that one day all evil will be driven out of, our, of this world, and we can be with him for all eternity. Please now, Lord, help us to make the time to seek you and to find peace for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.